0: W Media. You're listening to The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. I'm former FBI Assistant Director, Frank Figluzzi. Join me on a journey deep inside the world's premier law enforcement agency to decode the mysteries and challenges of today's FBI. The threats facing America are as real as the men and women who battle to protect us. In this first of a kind podcast, we'll sit down with active duty FBI personnel who reveal their mission, their cases, and their lives. Let's go inside the Bureau with Frank Figlusi. Are there really FBI offices overseas?
1: We have officially 63 offices and about another 30 to 40 sub-offices all over the world. There's hardship. There's learning entirely new cultures, languages. I mean, we're not Jason Bourne busting down doors with guns drawn. The the kind of old cliche, the FBI is everywhere. Well, they they pretty much are. Is my family going to be safe?
0: You're listening to The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. Today's guest, Tom Sobosinski, the Deputy Assistant Director of the FBI's International Operations Division. Many of our listeners will be hearing for the first time that the FBI posts personnel to offices abroad in many nations. Today, we'll be diving much deeper into the FBI's mission abroad, what it looks like, who staffs it, and how it helps keep America safe. Today's guest, D.A.D., Tom Sobosinski. Tom, welcome. Thanks for coming.
1: Thanks, Frank. It's great to be here.
0: Tom, tell us about what you do every day in the FBI, how you came to be interested in the FBI, how long you've served in the Bureau, and then tell us about the mission of the men and women in the International Operations Division.
1: Well, that's a loaded question. I think for me, I am one of those guys that I've wanted to be an FBI agent since I was six years old. Uh, and, and so, unfortunately, that took a little bit longer than I had expected, but I started as a police officer, then I was a Secret Service agent uh, for a few years, and then I've been with the FBI for about 22 years now. Um, for me, I, I came in, was assigned to a, a small office in North Carolina, which, which I did for a few years. Then I came up, uh, unfortunately, we had 9-11, so my, my career of uh, working against gangs and drugs and violence crime qu- quickly shifted to counterterrorism. And that's kind of been what I've done since to with the overseas experience. So like I said, I've been here 22 years. Right now, I'm the deputy assistant director. Um, kind of why I'm sitting here is I've actually served in, in three different posts overseas. I did a tour in, in Afghanistan. I was in Egypt for a few years and then ended up in uh, London in the United Kingdom for, for several years.
0: When you were a six-year-old kid uh, thinking about maybe becoming an FBI agent, was it ever in your mind that you might be posted abroad in the FBI?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. The answer is no. I, I had no intention to go overseas. It wasn't something that I, I was against. It just was not something that I thought the FBI did, much like most of the country. Um, and so for me, 9-11 really changed the mission of the FBI and also changed my, my life and what my career ended up being.
0: So is it safe to say that 911 was was a catalyst for you kind of uh, uh, entering a mindset that I I might be serving overseas, I might want to do this in the FBI?
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, I think that, that that event really refocused the mission for me personally, but also as what the FBI then transformed into uh was something that I felt I I wanted to support. Um and that a lot of that mission really did, you know, it's fairly dated right now, but, but going overseas to stop it before it, it hit, hit our shores uh, became something that I was, I was passionate
0: about. Yeah. The, the, the concept of uh, fight them there before we have to fight them here uh, certainly applies to the international terrorism efforts. All right. So let's start from scratch on what the FBI's mission is abroad how it plays out abroad, what the various posts look like. Are there really FBI offices overseas?
1: Yeah, there are. I mean, I think, you know, the core mission of protecting the American people and upholding the Constitution is, is applicable regardless of where you're located. And so that for us meant we had to change and what we needed to do to protect the people in the Constitution and. From different locations, and so we actually, uh, unfortunately, started with the war, and uh, and then increased with the with the war I was involved in. But it it started just before World War II. Um, in 1940, we realized that um, our counterintelligence mission uh, was going to change, and it was going to change due to you know the threats at that at that point from from Nazi Germany as well as as Japan. Um, and so what we Realized is that we needed to develop an understanding of what that threat was, um, work with our partners even back then, which was the State Department mostly, as well as the Department of Defense. There was no CIA back then. And we realized that we needed to not just visit these countries and develop these relationships, but also specialize in what that really meant and investing in being there on a 24-hour, seven days a week uh, mission, and so it started for us in in weirdly Bogota, Colombia. Um, we had gone down there. We had worked some uh, operations in support of State Department, and were asked by one ambassador if we'd be interested in in having a full time assignment there. And so we agreed to staff it with with a few agents. Um, What that really looked like was kind of like what we're talking about is, well, the FBI, what is the FBI if it was overseas? We felt and and State Department felt that being called special agents of the FBI while sitting overseas was probably not the the best thing in that environment. So they came up with the title legal attache. And as it started originally, it was a essentially a cover um, name so that people would not know we were FBI agents. Um, and that morphed to where we are right now, where the legal attache's officer, are, are, we identify as that and everybody knows that we are um, FBI agents. And so it was a very, you know, I, I, I say small, but a very impactful um, deployment of agents overseas during that time frame. We went mostly into Latin America uh, as, as well as South or Central America and then we also went into our our partners in Europe and then in Australia as well. And so that that's kind of what we did. I mean, earlier it was more of intelligence collection, really, you know, something that ultimately morphed into what the CIA now does, but back then it was it was a new process for all of us. And so after the war was over, we kind of, you know, figured that that's not what we needed to do anymore. We started to pull back from these offices, and then we we very gradually, as the world you know grew smaller, realized that from a criminal standpoint, our investigations didn't have geographic or, or country boundaries, and we needed to to get back out there to fight uh, criminals more than anything, and so that started to develop into the 70s and 80s, and in, in the late 80s. Um, Terrorism started to to rear its head. And so we increased work in those issues um, to where we are today, uh, where we have officially 63 offices and about another 30 to 40 sub offices all over the world. And so what that really looks like is not like what you would see in America, where we have an office, it's got a big logo on it, and everybody can call or walk up to an FBI office in a foreign country. When we're deployed overseas, we are we are diplomats. And so we are embedded and a part of the U.S. mission overseas. And so we um, more than likely are located in the actual embassy proper. We now are working with and, and, and in a way for the U.S. ambassador, who is the chief of mission um, for that country. And so we then work with other folks. So we will work with intelligence agencies that are stationed in those embassies. We will work with management offices american citizen services visa all those different groups of people coming together to, to work the mission of what it is to be an american and an american employee overseas they've got a very robust investigative capacity inside both the ministry of the interior and the national director of security but we can make them better we hope to have an afghan major crimes task force looking at organized crime kidnapping and public corruption that we can walk away from we're going to build it and then we're going to leave it here for the
0: people of afghanistan you know what you're describing sounds reminiscent of the early history of the fbi itself in the united states by that i mean you know there was a realization that there were bad guys crossing state lines they were using this newfangled thing called the automobile and police departments couldn't cross state lines. So crime was becoming interstate and national. And so we created this organization that ultimately became the FBI, headed by J. Edgar Hoover at the time. And it sounds like, you know, the the same thing played out in a way internationally as we realized all crime has become global. And now, you know, the bad guys can exploit the fact that the law enforcement isn't overseas. American law enforcement isn't. In those places, and so it sounds it sounds a little bit like history repeating itself on an, on an international level,
1: yeah, I mean I think that's a fair assessment i mean we are it was a threat that you know expanded in a way that we did not expect it to expand, but what we did know and what we invest in is our people. We know that if we get our agents and our employees to those different locations to work with our partners we're going to be able to do a better job protecting the folks for what we do as our core missions. I think that's a really accurate description of, of, of how this came about.
0: Now, so for clarity's sake, let's, let's talk about what the FBI abroad doesn't do in terms of its mission. So we, we you know, paint us the picture of what authorities exist. Um, you know, you mentioned partners. You, you mentioned essentially you are, you are guests inside the U.S. Embassy there's a host country that's allowing you to be there there's an ambassador for the united states that's saying yes i i want to maintain this fbi presence in my embassy in the american embassy what is it you you can't what what's your bread and butter it sounds like it's largely liaison and and what is it that you absolutely do not do can't do
1: yeah so i think the can't do makes it easier let's look at movies i mean we're not jason bourne you're not going to see us Uh, wearing our FBI raid jackets in a foreign country, uh, busting down doors with guns drawn, by and large. Uh, That's not what we do. Um, What we do there is, you know, we identify threats, whether it's criminal or or national security threats here, and that we realize that there's a connection overseas. And by and large, the majority of the world shares the same concern over the, the majority of the issues that we work. And so we, at times, will Start or illuminate discussions with those foreign partners on what we think is a shared threat. And then we will develop that into share actual strategic, it's a threat. We're going to go into the tactical nature of that, or we're going to share leads. We're going to share evidence, things that are going to help us reduce or, or mitigate that threat here in the U.S., or even help them in the foreign country do the same thing. And so, you know, a lot of that is the, you know, communication. It is talking to those people, passing that information back and forth um, in conjunction with, you know, what the greater mission of of the U.S. and that ambassador is. What we do in, in co- one country um, that we have a very close relationship, the five eyes, uh, which is a, a unique, you know, it is us Canada, New Zealand, the UK, and Australia. We have a a very special relationship, as they like to refer to it as. So obviously, we're very close with them. But there are other countries that we're not as close with. However, we have shared mission and goals that we think we can collaborate with. Where that, I think, comes into play is that we have, I'm not going to say we have different morals, but You know, we're the United States and there are different values that we have and share that might not be shared all over the all over the world. And so juggling all of those um, those issues and concerns with what that threat is that we're trying to mitigate or address becomes the daily, you know, the question is this safe? and, And what are the unintended consequences of an increased relationship with the FBI, with that country?
0: I can recall in in my twenty five years of service numerous times, um, not only visiting uh WeGats in various capacities, but also just setting leads for something to that I needed done uh overseas, a, a simple interview, um, in an investigation. Maybe somebody's sitting in London, somebody needs to be interviewed in Hong Kong or some other place and just Sending a, a memo saying I, I I'd like you to please interview this person in in my investigation and ask them the following questions. How does that how does that play out practically on on the legat's end, the legal attaché end of things? And I realize it could differ widely depending on the country. But can you just go knock on somebody's door in some other country and say FBI, we'd like to talk to you?
1: Yeah, the answer in general is no, and and even FBI agents here in the U.S. have have problems understanding that at times. Um, we, we can't just go knock on the door. And so for us it is, you know, we have to get whatever that lead is or that request is. We've got to evaluate it. Our depending on the country that we are we are living in where our League ad office is, we have different restrictions that they they place on us. And so they, they may not allow us to work certain issues. So there may be certain crimes in the U.S. that aren't crimes in that particular country. So I think that's the easiest one is that, is this going to be a crime in, in the country? And if it, if it's not, then that law enforcement, that, that foreign law enforcement agency isn't going to support us because it's not a crime for them. And so we make that evaluation. Hopefully the majority of them are going to be investigated. And then we have to go to some entity in that foreign government to make the request to do that interview. There are occasions where we will actually go with um, that foreign police agency to to sit down or to be adjacent to while they do the interview. But more than likely, we're going to have to detail out what we're looking for. We pass that to the the foreign police agency and they go do that interview on, on our behalf.
0: I can already hear some of our listeners uh, saying, uh, maybe maybe through the airwaves, I can hear them saying, wait a minute, I I thought it was the CIA overseas and it was the FBI domestically. Now I'm confused. Help us understand the distinction in mission and uh, the way you might work um, together overseas, but but where, where the differences lie.
1: Sure. I'll start with right now. We are very collaborative. And so I want to just say that right off the bat, is that the 20 years after 9-11 have really transformed how we work together. The differences are the CIA is, a, is part of the intelligence community, and, and they are a clandestine organization. They don't talk about what it is they do, but they collect intelligence and then they analyze that intelligence. And by and large, you're not going to know that that an individual is an employee of the CIA or a, an officer in the CIA. The FBI, while we share an intelligence mission, we are also law enforcement, and we are overt. You know, you you know, I'm an FBI agent. I give you my real name. I have credentials that have my picture and my you know my signature on it. And I you can call up an FBI office to verify that I actually am employed by the FBI. Very those. So those are the the key differences. We do overlap in in certain areas, and so you know, counterterrorism, intel, counterintelligence. Um, are areas that we have a similar mission, but, you know, we are domestic priority and they are overseas. And so, you know, I worked closely and we continue to work closely in every office with them on shared priorities. But how we go about doing that and whether it's overt or, or a covert of nature is very different.
0: Yeah, that's very helpful. The, uh, the intelligence, pure intelligence collection effort, uh, Clandestine, Collection versus the supporting the law enforcement domestic mission. So this raises a larger question of what other agencies are inside a U.S. embassy or consulate abroad? Is it is it just the FBI or there are there other American law enforcement agencies inside that that building?
1: Yeah, it, it is. We are many little mi- microcosms of of America all over the world, and I think it depends on. The country of what that will look like, but you know, I think in every embassy there's going to be a component of the State Department called the Diplomatic Security Service. Um, they also do some law enforcement and are, are their main mission is protection of the embassy itself and their personnel. Then you'll have other Department of Justice components like DEA, um, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms is also there. You may have Secret Service, and so like we here in America have very unique federal missions that somewhat overlap, much like we do with the CIA, but we have a core mission. And so those core missions are also being done over there, but we're much smaller. And so when you're over there, you will work very closely with these agencies because, you know, a drug enforcement agent is, you know, he is a special agent of, of the U.S. government. And so there may be times I, I I just need some assistance and he's the only one around. And so, we would find, you know, collaboratively working more closely together. And then the other part of that is we all live kind of together. When you are overseas, whether it's with your families or without your families, the embassy serves as a hub for for what life may look like. And so, you know, I personally developed really close relationships with with members of of all of these entities we just discussed. And I think for me... That really increased collaboration there within the office, but it also made us better and stronger collaborators when we come back to, to the
0: United States. You mentioned family, um, sometimes being accompanied by your family members uh, when you're serving abroad, sometimes not. What's the what's the decision making that goes into uh, what they call accompanied assignments or unaccompanied? Um, I'm sure safety plays a major role, security concerns, uh, whether or not we, we're in a friendly country or not. Talk talk about that. Talk about the security posture of working in inside a country that isn't necessarily our friend, our ally, and and what that looks like, both personally and and, and from a family uh, perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's you know when people we're here to talk about what the FBI does, and I I think our families and what our families do when we are overseas is as important, and it's really an unsung component of what it's like, and so. You know, for me, when I was in Afghanistan, my family obviously did not did not accompany me with me. I'm mean, married. I have I have I have two two boys. And so I, I was not with them for for many months on end. And so they're back here while I'm doing whatever it looked like over there. And then it was supporting DOD. We were very, you know, the footprint of the U.S. government was different back then. And so we were supporting the counterterrorism mission where DOD was was the the, the biggest uh, uh, actor for that. And so that's what we did over there. And then Egypt was where I, I served with my second post. And, and that was a an accompanied post. And for us, safety, like you said, that's the biggest issue is, are the families going to be safe? And so for us, uh, I was there during, you know, 2011, 2013, and the Arab Spring had a different change on what what Egypt in particular looked like. And so um, it was uh, a day-to-day, I don't want to say struggle, but stressor for myself and all of our employees on, is my family going to be safe? And so um, we, as as the legats, or, and that's how we refer to our, our the head of each of these legal attaché offices as legats, um, they're making that decision, but, but they're not making it by themselves. And so in here, you come back to where I'm sitting now as the, the deputy assistant director for the International Operations Division is that, you know, I'm – I think I'm uniquely placed to help support the families and what that may look like. And so, you know, we are striving to support that. So when you're over there with families, you know, you're living in um, government funded housing, by and large, the school is being paid for. And so there are some things that makes life easier, but it's, it's definitely not easier. Um, And then places like London, where, you know, you live you know, in a very nice place in a very nice part of London, and you're less reliant on the U.S. Embassy for day-to-day life. And I think for me, I think the one thing that surprised me and my wife uh, a lot is that when you're in Egypt, there's no 911. And so if your child, you know, if my kid broke his arm in baseball— What does that look like? And so there's no hospital that I can get them to in 20 minutes that had the standard of care that I wanted. And so what would be a, you know, would be a significant issue but not catastrophic here in America becomes very different when you're overseas. And that may mean stabilizing your child. That may mean getting them on a medevac flight or a commercial airline to Europe so they can get the level of care that we're looking for. I think that that is something that was surprising to to me. I don't know why I didn't think of it in the first place. And so that is something that all of our employees and their families are are coping with no matter where they are. And then for me, it it is what made it good is our, you know, my kids became different children for living overseas. And I think that's important for, for America in general to have a, just a different perspective on what life looks like so that we can, you know, choose to, to live the way we, we want to live here in the U.S.
0: These are great insights, um, not only into uh, the, the life of a legal attache and his or her family, but I think even as to the sacrifices made by the FBI's personnel, I, I think the general public has some understanding of you know the hardships of uh, of FBI life domestically. Um, there's danger. There's there's missed holidays, vacations, weekends, um, and and all of that that goes with the law enforcement job. But I this is another dimension. This is um, this is akin in some ways to various military assignments abroad. There's separate. There can be separation from family. There's hardship, there's learning entirely new cultures, in some cases, languages. What's, what's the kind of training that goes into, uh, let, let's talk about this, the selection of legal attaché personnel, the, the training and orientation into their assignment, uh, how much language training plays a role. Tell us, tell us about who gets selected for uh, the attaché program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let me talk about the the legal attaché office, what that actually is. I realize I, I kind of just didn't even go into what that looks like. So obviously, people think the FBI uh, special agents, and so we are there. So the the head of that office, that legal attaché office that we call a legat, um, he is the senior agent, and then they will have assistant legal attachés that are um, more more junior agents that work in that office. We will have intelligence analysts that work in that office, and then we will have administrative support. And and each office varies on size and, and the full complement. But in general, that that's what a core office would look like. And so what we're looking for is, you know, we're a bureaucracy. It's in our name. So there are certain things you've got to have. We have a minimum of, of six years in the FBI. You've got to pass certain management selection criteria to just be promoted to a certain level in the FBI, and we have all that. But as a as a hiring manager, what I look for is it's the things that make agents really good, which are the soft skills, the communication ability, the interpersonal skills that make you just a good agent is what I'm looking for overseas. And that the one thing that I've now found is that regardless of the language, capabilities or lack of them, if you have that 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 just the qualities to just be able to talk to somebody and to walk into a room and have a conversation, you're going to be successful regardless of where we send you. So once we do that, we do, you know, you're selected. It's a management promotion. Um, We do have internal training that you go through. And so we have an overseas awareness program where all personnel who are going overseas uh, are required to take a, a set amount of of time and it's you know some of it is the really cool stuff like you're going to go on a track and you're going to learn how to drive in a in an armored vehicle you're going to have um enhanced firearms training depending on where you're going you may if you're not an agent you know have some firearms training for the first time just to be familiar with it you're going to get enhanced medical training and so that i think is the 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 more as my kids call it, the cool stuff. But then you're also going to learn things like how does an embassy work? You're essentially, even though you are an FBI employee, you are being stuck in a whole new bureaucracy and a whole new organization that you probably have not had any limited or had much or limited visibility into what that looks like. So this is the ambassador. This is who he is. This is what he means. This is what the management office does. This is what, you know, the community liaison officer, medical. And so we just get into the weeds of all that. And so then they have that training piece. And then there, there is more uh, enhanced training, depending on your So it might be more personal protection training. It might be language. And so, you know, if I had unlimited time and unlimited resources, I would send every FBI employee to um, language school. Unfortunately, we just don't have that time. We strive to select and and hire these individuals on about a year and a half cycle. So once they're hired, we have a year, about a year and a half to train them up. But they still have live jobs and and assignments that they're working as that time frame is, is going forward. By and large, I'm going to say a significant majority of our agent personnel They're going to some some limited version of of language training. And so whether it's one on one or we go to the State Department has a language school, we'll send folks to we're going to get you get you to that. Um, And then while they're deployed overseas, we'll support them. Um, with some language training for that as well. and so that's that's us in in a nutshell of what that looks like. And then once they're overseas, you know cause because we are the FBI, they're gonna have to come back on on certain occasions to do enhanced training just for us as an organization they may have to do that we we can't do remotely in a foreign country.
0: You mentioned firearms um, that may surprise some folks that uh, you know there's no real law enforcement authority in in these other nations for FBI personnel. Are, are there, it sounds like there are assignments and, and countries where uh, the FBI's legal attaché personnel are allowed to carry firearms, some that they're not. What, what goes into that? Um, what, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, that's a very complicated process. I mean, I think some areas are very easy. Um, if you are in a war zone working and supporting the Department of Defense, um, they're armed, you're going to be armed. Then it becomes, you know, what what's the others look like? And so we aren't law enforcement officers. And in a lot of these countries, you know, you know, let's look at the UK. They police officers don't carry firearms. And so for us, it's not us sneaking in guns and 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 doing that. It's a it's a a discussion with within the embassy is important for safety. And then what is that that host government want us or will allow us to do, and so that's the process that we go through on, on those issues.
0: Let's, t- let's talk about uh, some of the high-profile cases where FBI legal attachés or legats have played a significant role. What What are some of the, the, the cases where our listeners would say, "Yeah, wow, I, I I didn't realize there's there's an FBI abroad connection to this this case." What can you share with us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I would. I'm going to start with the generic statement. If you're seeing it in the news and it's overseas and it's significant, we may have some involvement in it. And the level of involvement varies. But I think even from the embassy bombings in, in Africa going on over 20 years ago to Olympics. So the embassy bombings, let's talk about that. I mean, we deployed over there. It was a that is U.S. U.S. soil. Um, So we brought over an extensive team for evidence collection to do interviews in collaboration with um, the host governments. And so that's a very, and was a very deep footprint. You have things like, and I know these are historical, but like the Lockerbie Scotland bombing, we were involved in that and continue to be involved in that.
0: It's always been regarded as a a joint investigation with our uh, FBI colleagues. We share information regularly. We have regular face-to-face meetings, whether it be in in the US or in Scotland. That sharing of information is probably the most important part of the, the investigation itself.
1: And then as you move forward, you know, on a cycle uh, is the Olympics. We are involved with with a lot of other government organ- US government organizations supporting what the Olympics would look like. Bringing folks there multiple years in advance to work out with that, with the Olympic Committee and things like that. I think folks aren't are aware of. And then more recently, there were some attacks uh, in Mexico of some of some dual citizens, um, where a family was was murdered um, in a remote area um, in Mexico that we we got involved with and supported the Mexican government on that. You also had the Beirut bombing. You know, we were we have expertise and evidence collection and bomb data issues where we may get involved with things like that. Um, and then I think there's one that, I you know, I think surprises all of us. But, you know, most recently, about a couple of weeks ago, uh, a man by the name of Fritz Berger, who was a a Nazi guard of a concentration camp that had, had lived in the U.S. for for decades, was identified and and recently extradited back to Germany to face charges. He's 95 years old. Um, Those are the things that you see every day and that you may be able to talk about. What it's not, what it's not, you're not seeing is that there are dozens, if not hundreds of leads of children in that are being um, abused and so whether that's online child pornography, unfortunately, with the advent of video cameras of, of children who are actually being abused right now, um, we are sending and coordinating leads worldwide to, to save those kids.
0: It sounds like, you know, the, the the kind of old cliche, the FBI is everywhere. Well, they, they pretty much are. Um, they can't, they'd can they like to be in more places, I'm sure. But the reach is so far and the partnerships are so important. Tom, it sounds like it's all important to develop the, a bond and a relationship to truly partner with the host country law enforcement agencies. In in many cases, the the mission literally lives or dies as to whether or not the the support is there, the cooperation is there. What steps are taken to to formalize that bond, and and is part of that uh, FBI training of Law enforcement agencies that maybe have almost zero exposure to our kind of rule of law, our our constitution, our concept of criminal justice.
1: So we do do and provide quite a bit of of that training, and I think that you you started with I don't want to call it the hidden portion of that, um, but it is something that is is you know a core part of that is trying to elevate the the human rights issues around law enforcement in a way that I think is is unique to the United States and and, and just Western in, in general. I mean, you're right. Folks do this differently. And so for us, um, we are, I think, in, in a large scale is we have what's called a, our National Academy, which is a, a 10-week program here that we hold down in Quantico, Virginia. It is majority for executives, rising executives within U.S. law enforcement. Um, it's it's administrative, uh, administration and and tactical in nature. But we also invite select uh, international partners to every one of those classes we hold them. Um, COVID's a little different, but we hold them a couple times a year, and that allows them to see what law enforcement looks like in the U.S. We then have uh, international law enforcement academies uh, in different areas um, that are U.S government-led um, in Budapest, Hungary, and in Thailand, in Africa, and, and in Central America, where we, along with other components of, of the U.S. government law enforcement, go there and, 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 tra- and train fairly generic um, techniques on what it is to do law enforcement the way we do it. And then recently, we have um, established an international executive program Um, both in Africa and in Latin America, where we are bringing senior executives together from a region um, and combining them with an executive from the FBI where they come together as a cohort several times over a a one-year period, and they just share stories and joint education. Because I I think the one thing that – we become very egocentrical when we talk about like this. It's the FBI Academy. It's the international law enforcement. Here is, here is the U.S. government coming in here to teach country X law enforcement to do something better. And although we do things differently and we are very good at, at, at certain things, for me personally, teaching some of these courses is also being involved with them from other instructors and participants is that, you know, we get something out of this as well. And so it is although we we are teachers at a lot of this we we do get relationships and understandings of what it's like to work in those countries, which I think makes our operations stronger
0: yeah it's that it's that human factor and seeing each other uh as human beings with families, kids with challenges, learning about their their life, their culture. I'm sure, you know, if if you're assigned to London, there's some time spent in pubs um, just getting to know your uh, your partners with the intelligence services and the law enforcement there. I'm sure if you're assigned to Moscow, um, there might be uh, a vodka or two in the uh, in the in the schedule, Um, that personal bonding that occurs in relationship building. Have you have you been in assignments where you've had folks over the house so they can see, hey, here's an American family. Here's what they eat for dinner.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that it is like we talked about. It is the personalization of this. It is, you know, and it sounds cliche, but we are all human regardless of where we happen to be born or where our families immigrated to. And mine, you know, a couple generations ago. And so, yeah, they've met my wife, my kids, depending on where that is. And and I've we've met their families. And so, yeah, that is a very important aspect of what it's like to to be in these environments.
0: Well, it's the goal of this podcast to take our listeners uh, into the human side of the FBI and expose them to corners of the Bureau's mission that they had not previously been aware of and i think today we did that i think today we we sh- we talked in great deal about an area of the bureau that's little known to the public but so important to keeping our public safe the fbi abroad the fbi's legal attaché program deputy assistant director tom Sobosinski joined us as our guest today and tom thank you not only for your time but for you and your family's sacrifice for our nation please Go back to your office and, and thank everyone for what they do on our behalf.
1: Thank you, Frank. We appreciate the opportunity to discuss something where we think is really important.
0: Outstanding. Thanks for the time. Thanks for listening to Episode 3 of The Bureau with Frank Figluzzi. Join us next week when a top FBI scientist shares her compelling personal story and reveals a breakthrough in matching DNA faster than ever before. The Bureau is written by Frank Fogluzzi and executive produced by Alison Gill with sound design and editing by Molly Hockey. The show is engineered by Matt Brousseau with podcast art design by Johanna Coxeter. Music for The Bureau is written and composed by Peter Rydberg. The Bureau is a proud member of MSW Media Network, a collection of independent creator-owned podcasts focused on news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.